planet Earth or wherever you are in America. And uh, sadly to say, it may be premature to phrase it this way, but goodbye, America. I mean, literally, goodbye, America. I have never been just like a patriot for being a patriot's sake. I come from an atheistic, secular humanist, existentialist, creative, artistic home where we discuss philosophy, art, culture. Uh, We had very intense movers and shakers who visited my parents on a regular basis, but I'm not going to drop names. And the thing is that uh, the majority of the people were probably liberal because it, it was East Coast, New York City. But there was a moderate conservative wing to this artistic, creative, intellectual type of people, some who became or have become world-famous household names. Uh, but that, that's, you know, that's a side note, but it gives you an indication as to the level of discussion, debate, and understanding about all these things. You see, that's what educated me. What I heard my parents and their friends discussing, I would listen for hours. It was mesmerizing. And they spoke uh, about so many topics and subjects which were never touched upon in the school system. But they they spoke about the complexities, uh, life itself, politics, economics, art, culture, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it was fascinating. You know, truth and knowledge is fascinating. So when I segued into going to PS69 uh, grammar school, that was architecturally built like a prison. I think it was six or seven stories, and it was essentially a giant old uh, cube with dark uh, black iron ironwork uh, that guarded the windows and the doors, etc., for fear of break-in and burglary or, or whatever. Now, here we are in the future. You're in the future. I'm in the future. And let's just go back three years. Let's go back three years in the past. Many things happened that changed our lives together in a massive sense all across America, all across the world. This this apocalyptic attack from this mysterious biological agent. COVID-19, and then the supposed cure for COVID-19 is the vaccinations and the boosters, etc. But the problem was that before, just as the epidemic was taking off, strange things were happening in the mass population of the U.S. and around the world. People who, who were getting the vaccines were still getting covid some were dying, and there was a whole long list of medical, biological problems in the body and the brain of millions of human beings. And they are exhibiting symptoms of damage or degradation. And it's all uh, connected chronologically to the fact that they got the COVID vaccination uh, relatively quickly before they began to manifest this bizarre range of symptoms. And you've seen them. I mean, I'm not coming to a conclusion. 
I'm just telling you that when I see uh, all kinds of professional sports stars in football and hockey and uh, soccer and, and basketball and whatever, the Olympics and whatever it is, I see all these people out there. And then I see in a conspicuous percentage, I keep seeing a certain percentage of these top notch super athletes that are in prime shape and the prime of their life. And you saw it on TV. I saw it on TV. They were dropping dead. One minute they'd be talking or cheering or whatever they happened to be doing in the game. And then next minute, they were dropping dead to the ground. Thud. They were at. They, did, they weren't unconscious. They dropped dead. But the media, of course, didn't cover this. The media has been a busy, busy bee covering up all truths, all facts, all documentation that may even remotely ask questions such as, is there a danger in taking the vaccination or whatever it happens to be? Whatever it is, if it's important, if it has the potential of impacting my life and millions of people's lives, then that thing, whatever it is in whatever category it is, it is immediately ushered to the front of the line and immediately it should be discussed on the global uh, media platform by qualified experts, some who would be against these things and some that would be promoters of these things. But we don't see that happening right now in the United States of America. Instead, what we see happening is the de-evolution of the United States of America. What we see is attributes and qualities that were once only associated with communist dictatorships, South American dictatorships, um, communist dictatorships, uh, Marxist socialist dictatorships, in which there would be armed revolution. Countless numbers of people would be slaughtered with automatic assault rifle fire. Women who were pregnant would drop dead dead. Babies and children would be horrifically massacred on purpose by these so-called revolutionaries. But you see, if you dig deeper, so you have a choice. Every time you look at information, every time you're trying to analyze what's being presented before you, you have a moral obligation to do your due diligence and do some homework and look up some stuff independently by yourself. Then you will be a person who is wise and intelligent and respected. But if you're a buffoon, and you can be a buffoon on the left or a buffoon on the right, if you're just some guy or girl who goes in any direction everybody else is going, nobody's going to respect you. Why will nobody respect you? Because Americans don't generally respect people who don't know how to think for themselves. If your identity is somewhat like a clone and you just repeat what you hear other people say, don't count on a pat on the back and don't count on being respected as a man or a woman of excellence and superiority and intelligence and knowledge. Don't expect that. And if you happen to be fortunate enough to be blessed in the areas of perception, cognitive abilities, historical analysis, 
historical memory, science, technology, art, culture, uh, the vast spectrum of things like the scientific establishment, the technological establishment, uh, the 12 international banking families that control all the money in the world and stuff. Now, if you understand all of that, and very, very few people do, I mean, look, when you turn on the television, go to CNN. I used to be on some of, a guest, on, a guest commentator and a debater on some of CNN's biggest shows. And I can tell you firsthand from being around these people privately, this is not the brightest light bulb on the Christmas tree. They don't know history. They don't know much of anything. They know how to be crass, uh, off with their humor, and they know how to, like, attack dogs, savage their enemies with name-calling. But in terms of giving you anything of quantifiable truth, they're non-existent. And then, sadly, I was constantly on uh, the Fox News Network and the Fox Business Channel, the biggest shows, at least once a week. I was constantly on to to be on the shows of the biggest hosts in cable television and and debate some of the most prominent and famous and esteemed experts or political heads or economists. I'm talking about big, big shots. And it was my job, Paul McGuire, uh, to debate these heavy hitters in Manhattan's heavy-hitting financial community, the banking firms, the billionaires. And I have wild stories to tell, and I, I tell a few in my book, Power from on High. But I just don't tell it to brag, uh, otherwise there's no point putting it out. I tell just a few of these stories to give the reader a kind of behind-the-scenes examination of what really goes on when you're uh, like, like a radio gladiator, a radio talk show host gladiator, who goes into the television coliseum to, to battle these, these heavyweights and big shots from the left and from all kinds of liberal organizations. And my job would be to debate them. And I'm not bragging when I say this. It's accurate. It's true. My first debate was my first time out in, in the ring. However, I, I'm thankful because in that first debate that I was involved in with a heavy, heavy hitting liberal leftist San Francisco radio talk shows, um, I managed to hold my own. So we were in a verbal gladiator fight slinging facts and figures and analysis and quips and everything else. And the, the, the CNN students loved it. But um, it was tough for me because I was not prepared. I had not practiced. I had not studied the, the, the ways of these professional communicators. And I get, because of my unwillingness to do my homework properly, <clears throat> I gave him the upper hand. And I almost lost. I mean, I had a ton of skills, but you need lots of years of practice to go along with the skills. So I could have lost. But by the grace of God, it was a tie. N- neither of us won. But that sobered me up. What that said was, Paul McGuire, you better wake up, smell the coffee, 
And you got to remember, you're speaking to countless millions of people. You got to remember, Paul, it's a privilege. There are countless numbers of people watching you right now on this television show. And they would love to have the privilege to communicate to large numbers of people and, and take part in the battle of shaping our ideas, our worldview, uh, and our nation and our future. So this time, I did what I saw in a boxing movie years ago. I, I, um, years ago, I saw this movie with my wife. I can't remember the name. But they were prepping. In fact, it could have been, what is it, Rocky Three? It may have been. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I, if it wasn't Rocky Three. It was a similar scenario. The, the championship boxer watched with his eyes glued to the film screen, the projector, and to the television set. He had to study endless, endless hours of footage of his his upcoming opponent, a world championship boxer. He had to study his every move so that he was totally prepared when he had to go into the ring against this world championship boxer he had spent so many thousands, me, he spent thousands of hours memorizing every move and counter move, the pacing, the guy's plan, uh, you know, everything. I had to get it down and I had to re- I had to kind of like use my imagination and rehearse in my mind the upcoming gladiator fight with this professional boxer. Now, in my situation. I'm not a professional boxer, and I wasn't rehearsing physical boxing techniques, but I was doing something on a parallel track. I was rehearsing my rhetorical ability, my debating ability, my verbal ability, my, my instant access of the facts, the knowledge, the truth, the information, instant ability to retrieve stuff that was released in the news early in the morning, because New York City is three hours ahead. And then I studied his, 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 his verbal debating techniques like crazy. So now I went into the arena. He was in, uh, what studio was in? Oh, my Lord. He was in the same studio I was in, which is the CNN Studios in Hollywood, California. And when you're walking into the CNN Studios for, for these news programs, on the left-hand side, I took a little departure, a little little self-appointed tour. I walked into the, the studio of Larry King. And this was a studio built for a king. It was palatial. There's this enormous television set with the most expensive decoration, the most enormous uh, series of sets for Larry King, who was like huge back then. Anyway, I get back into the green room where we're supposed to be getting makeup and we're supposed to be uh, preparing for the debate. And I hear this guy talking to his friend. Now, they obviously did research on me. I didn't do research on them. So they knew I was a Christian. And so they, they, I am con- I'm convinced that they concocted this conversation designed to bait me, designed to offend me, designed to attack me. And to designed to start to break me down before I got live on set. Because their conversation was just totally unnatural. It was like 
completely a, a lunatic's conversation. It, the purpose of the conversation was to get under my skin so he could deliver an ironclad punch in the face and knock me out on national, international TV, national TV. So, boom, we're on on CNN Live. It's a very inflammatory topic, potentially. Now, I already know that I don't want to handle this topic like most conservatives and Christians handle the topic, because I don't feel they're effective in their strategy. Okay, so why am I going to repeat or mimic a strategy that hasn't worked so far? Well, I'm not. But this time, we begin jousting. We begin tossing little remarks, uh, intellectual put-downs to build anticipation. And then we begin to enter verbal conflict, and we begin to flex our, our intellectual, historical, scientific, sociological, psychological, all the fields of study that we each cram down into our minds through years of reading. We were, we were both prepared in that sense. I was prepared more. And then the verbal battle begins. The sparks are flying. And, and the, the producers and the uh, studio people that run the studio, they're going berserk. They love it. I, they, they, this was a departure for them because, because they do a lot of boring interviews. I, I make it a rule for myself when I do a debate on national TV, never be boring. And the other people that I debate that are good radio talk show hosts, they know the same rule. So we're battling it out. And instead of getting angry or offended, I didn't get angry or offended because I was having fun. And you know what? Well, the weirdest thing is, I'm going I'm to give you a little, little phrase that came to my mind about three to four days ago in the middle of the night. Uh, the Lord knew that I was praying for a strategy that was effective in some other area in my life. So I kept saying, Lord, how should I approach this? What strategy should I use? What should I say, and how should I say it? Now, the Lord will often speak to us. Well, the Lord speaks to me on his schedule. So he'll appear out of the middle of nowhere. I'm not talking about in a physical sense. His still, small voice will start speaking to me. So I wasn't even thinking about this subject, but out, out of the middle of nowhere, about a day before I was going to do this large national media appearance, um, I, this, this popped, in, popped out of my mind from, from apparently nowhere. And that happens to me a lot. It's weird. So what happened was, I wasn't thinking about this guy. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a boxing fan, really. I wasn't thinking about debating or CNN or anything. So what happened was these words popped into my mind. And when I heard these words pop into my mind, I knew that that was the Lord speaking to me in a still, small voice. And the Lord was giving me a strategy for winning in this media appearance. The Lord was giving me a strategy on a very personal level. And all I had to do was hear it, and I would, as I thought about it, I would understand the, the strategy the Lord was downloading in me. So here's how it, how's it played out. It was like four in the morning. I woke up or whatever. And then out of the middle of the nowhere, I hear these words in a still, small voice. 
Dance like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Dance like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Now, any of you who know boxing or the history of boxing or whatever, that was one of Muhammad Ali's most famous, if not his most famous kind of uh, slogan, uh, a phrase he would use to unnerve his enemies. So Muhammad Ali would be doing press conferences and everything else, and they'd say, what are you going to do, Mr. Ali, to, to win this fight? Blah, 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 blah. You know, and he would pack out stadiums. And he had a lot of charm, a lot of glistening and sparkling in his eyes. And he would look at the camera with a Cheshire cat grin, and he would say to these you know, very serious, self, self-important reporters, he would say to them, and I'm going to speak like a white man, because there's nothing worse than a white man speaking like a black man and, and not nailing it. It's lame. I mean, I, I can do it, but I don't do it when I'm not sure if I can deliver it 100% accurately. Because, again, nothing is worse than a white man trying to sound like he's a black man. It just, it just it makes your skin, <laughs> skin crawl. So I'm just going to say like a white man, but I'm, ta- I'm, I'm pretending to be Muhammad Ali. He tells the reporters when they say, what are you going to do to win? He has a big smile on his face, and then Muhammad Ali says, I'm going to dance like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Now, what the, first of all, that's incredibly poetic. Second of all, you remember it. And third of all, it conveys such multidimensional deep thinking on how to approach the sport of boxing and how to become a world championship boxer. So if Muhammad Ali is telling us he's going to dance like a butterfly, it means that his, his leg movements, his feet movements, are going to be elegant, light, like a, like a, a, a ballet dancer or, or making it more accurate. He's get, you know, dancing around like a butterfly. A butterfly is one of the most gracious, in control, yet almost symphonic mover. A, a butterfly is beautiful uh, to watch sail uh, in your panorama outside. They're just beautiful, the right kind of butterfly are beautiful colors, and there's a majesty about them. So when Muhammad Ali said, I'm going to dance like a butterfly, you could imagine he said that because he was using psyops, psychological operations, to to get his boxing opponents to become obsessively fixated on the way he danced around with such incredible grace and style. So, So what Muhammad Ali was doing is he was psyching them out. Christians need to to know the art and strategy of psyching people out. And if you're so, you know, like redundantly backwards that you misconstrue what I'm saying when I say, um, you know, when I say what I just said, I'm not talking about retreating. I'm not talking about giving up. I'm not uh, talking about surrendering. That's a misinterpretation of the high level of communication that Muhammad Ali was delivering. I'm going to dance like a butterfly. This, first of all, this is a powerful mechanism in boxing warfare because it's, for the most part, unexpected. You don't expect, until he he made it a norm, you don't expect your boxing opponent or any opponent to be so bold, so flamboyant, 
that he starts dancing in front of you like a butterfly. So you're distracted. You're caught up in the choreography of God's butterfly fluttering around. And in the same manner, like a, like a butterfly fluttering around, in the same manner, Muhammad Ali is gracefully dancing and moving his legs and his feet, etc., etc. So his opponent, whoever it is, is like hypnotized and cannot break his focus uh, on the leg and, and, and feet movements of Muhammad Ali. You, you, are you tracking with me? Because this is powerful stuff. He danced like a butterfly, and then he stung like a bee. So as he mesmerized, as he put his enemies in a trance state, and how did he put them in a trance state? He hypnotized them, because he was dancing gracefully and beautifully and with impeccable style. He was dancing on, on the, uh, in the sports stadium. Uh, where the boxing match was. He was dancing with an elegance, yet he's one of the most powerful, physically male men on planet Earth. And then um, his enemies are so distracted by him dancing like a butterfly that they lose their critical focus, their critical attention. And the minute they lose their critical attention and critical focus, they go into a distraction mode And once they enter that distraction mode or preoccupied mode, even for two to three seconds, even if it's just two seconds, if their opponents lose their ability to hyper-focus on the boxing match and they become distracted just for two seconds, that's all it takes for the sting like a butterfly from Muhammad Ali to hammer the face or the chest, or some key target area will hit his opponent with such force and such power. Metaphorically, Ali says, I'll dance like a butterfly and sting like a bee. But think of that stinging like a bee, like a sledgehammer coming down on your face, and you're knocked out. That's what he meant, because he he approached boxing like an artist. Now, I I said something very briefly, and I I just want to revisit it, and I want to put it out to you and share it with you as a methodology, a strategy, a technique you can use in all kinds of areas of life, and it will enable you to be victorious and an overcomer, assuming first you're calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this this is how it goes. You're either in the modality of, you know, you're, you're completely compartmentalized. You can't focus or concentrate. You're, you're, you're bewitched by, by Muhammad Ali dancing like a butterfly. So you're, you're off on your focus and your concentration. And then you're gone for two seconds. Just two seconds. You are gone. Your personality, you, your problems, everything. You are gone. You disappeared from planet Earth for two seconds, mentally. And in the two seconds that you disappeared, when you finally came back alive, when your consciousness finally kicked in, when your senses finally reignited, and instantaneously you were able to reappraise this life-and-death boxing situation you were in, and you didn't pause a moment. You didn't miss a heartbeat. You just 
boom, snap back into reality. It was an instantaneous sonic boom, boom. You snap back into reality. Your eyes are in hyper focus. You're looking at your opponent who's attempting to uh, bring his fist down upon you like a sledgehammer. And then, boom, out of the middle of nowhere, your fist of fury flies against him and shatters him, metaphorically. It shatters him into 100 pieces. And you knocked him out. You won the world championship game again. So what's the lesson here? Whatever career, whatever discipline, however you make a living, as my father told me, he was the second fastest man, second fastest runner uh, at the university level, the college level in the entire United States for, for a number of years. And he was the fastest long-distance runner there was. Excuse me, the second fastest long-distance runner there was in the entire United States. And he ran for the University of Missouri. And, you know, all his friends and our friends in New York were impressed with that. And they, you know, they'd asked me about his running stuff. And I learned running from him, just modeling it. But I would ask my father questions. And one of the things he told me, which I never forgot, my father did not tell me a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> so when you got something from my father, it was, it was like, it was very, ca- he would communicate in a very casual, by the way manner. But the content of what he said to me when he would do those like drive-bys and impart to me nuggets of wisdom and information, they were life-changing truths. And one of the things that he taught me, he said, I asked him, how how were you able to win all these races, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I would do two things, Paul. Um, When I did the long distance running, I would run uh, as fast as I can and to be able to sustain the pace at a particular high speed, but not burn yourself out. Because you're a long-distance runner, you're, you're running a long distance. And then he said, then it would come, then you, you're pouring it on with everything your body has, and you have to make the choice, are you going to win or are you going to lose? And then my father said to me, at that point, when you're running in the race for a championship title in the United States, you give it everything you have. And then it comes down to, my father said, it's a matter of will. You will to win uh, the long-distance race. You will to win. And so now you're running on sheer willpower. And then he said, you're running on your guts. You're nauseous. You feel like vomiting. Your, your, your body is racked with pain. You know, you have like a migraine headache. Uh, you're, you're suffering from severe psychological and physical uh, damage running with this intensity. But you've made the decision with your will that you're going to win the race and you're not going to let up. You're just going to keep giving to it until you win the medal. And he said, you just fortify yourself with your will. You decide with your will. You decide with your God, that nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to win. I'm going to take this. And then he said, so I would, Paul, the secret of my success was, he said, Paul, I would run with every ounce of my guts 
every time I ran a race. I would run with my guts. And after I finished, and many, many times I would be first place or second place uh, in the entire United States, I would have to quietly go off someplace privately, he said. And all that stirred up energy and emotion locked in my guts. He said, I'd have to privately, where nobody was looking, I'd have to vomit it out of because the, because you're, you're locking your energy and life force into your muscles, and it's 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 agonizing and nauseating. Then the other thing he told me was, this is a secondary truth, which actually hooks on to the other truth. He said, when you whatever you do in life, you don't give up. He said, if you've chosen something that you want that you're going to go after. Then you keep after it, you keep going, 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 you keep going. Then he kept going and, and talking to me about it. And what he was saying is, you have made up your mind, you're going to win. And there's only one thought and plan in your mind, and that is you're going to keep going, you're going to keep going, you're going to keep going. And then you win. So that stayed with me my entire life. Now, let's bring us back to where we are in the United States. And the, the cultural, spiritual, at this point, law-abiding and peaceful war between people who are Christians, people with a biblical worldview, versus people with a communist, Marxist, socialist, secular, humanist worldview. And it takes place on cable news networks. It takes place with books. and in churches and everything else. So we are all in this massive battle. You understand what I'm saying? And whoever wins this battle, I can tell you very succinctly, but it would be better if you read my book, which tells you the the prelude to what's going to happen, what's going to happen, can we do something about it, and and what do we do uh, at different points along the way? What do we do? So this is what I want to talk to you about for just a few seconds. But before we get there, <clears throat> I simply want to say to you, we are in the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world. It's never been all or nothing like it is now. And God, is, God Almighty is calling his men, his women, his young people. God Almighty is calling his people all across America and all across the world. What you have to know about God calling his people all across America and the world is this. That obviously implies that God right now is calling out to you. God is calling you by name, and as he calls you by name, he's beginning to supernaturally strengthen you. And God is calling you for such a time as this to be fully engaged in the spiritual battle or the greatest battle for the hearts and minds of mankind in the history of the world. None of us can win this battle alone. And so, Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church, we need your help. The most effective and strategic thing that we can do is to spread our message, to spread a biblical worldview, to spread the spiritual and intellectual and factual content of this program. To as many people who need to hear it as fast as we possibly can. And that's our first order of business. So, in order for that to happen, I must have your help. I'm asking you to pray to God, and I'm asking you to simply ask God, 
Lord, show me who you want me to contribute to, how much you want me to contribute, how often you want me to contribute, and and then whatever the Lord tells you to do, be faithful to do it. So, the reason that's necessary is all wars, including spiritual war, uh, wars, require financial input. So we need finances to expand our outreach, to expand the effectiveness of our outreach, to develop an alternative system if they crash the system, to develop alternative platforms just in case they shut down all conservative or Christian platforms. We need to have the monies, and we're very frugal, we need to have the monies to build alternative platforms, alternative methods of outreach. Because you see, what is going to win or lose this battle is how much of the truth can we communicate to people in America in an understandable way and do it as fast as we can. Because the lies and the deception are hammering us with such force, we have to meet that with a far greater force in the spiritual realm and the physical realm. As you know, the name of my brand new book is called Power from on High. It deals with law-abiding, peaceful, spiritual warfare in the physical realm, and it deals with peaceful, law-abiding, spiritual warfare in the uh, spiritual world or invisible realm. And then we wage warfare in those primary battlefields. And the more people that we can communicate with, the more people that we can pass on the truth to, and who we can wake up out of their trance state. See, this whole battle, this whole war, is different than any other war in human history. This is a war that's all about mind control, trance states, hypnotic states, and esoteric technology with AI that is able to produce synthetic ESP, synthetic remote viewing, hive mind, world brain, and all kinds of battlefields that that didn't exist years ago. So I need your help, bottom line. I've given my entire life to this. I've been doing this for decade after decade after decade. I don't want to get into a big thing about what I do, but I think you need to know a snippet of it. I work approximately 15 hours a day on average, some days longer, some days shorter. And it's nonstop. And why do I work that hard? Certainly not for the money. I work that hard for one reason. I feel in my heart a divine call from Almighty God to do everything that I'm doing. I feel a divine call from God to do it. And with that, I know that I've received my assignment as a watchman on the wall and that I'm fully aware of, and therefore I'm fully responsible, I'm fully aware of the fact that if we don't win this idea communication mind war, if we don't win it quickly, we're going to lose America forever. America is pedal to the metal, burning rubber, and driving into a full-blown totalitarian scientific mind control, social engineering, totalitarian state, and a full-blown dictatorship. Everything you do will be spied on. Every thought you think will be spied on. And you will have no freedoms. 
no freedom of speech, no freedom of religion, no freedom of the press, no freedoms whatsoever. And that becomes, my friend, the end of America. And when America is taken down, and right now the most powerful forces in the spiritual world and in the physical world are aligned in destroying America in the last days and destroying any of America's potential influence in the last days. And they're very clear on how they intend to kill Christianity and Christians and a free nation, a once free nation like America. They're very clear. They have a plan that they've been, been implementing and refining uh, for, for, for about 150 years easily. And you need to know what that plan is. They understand far better than Christians understand that uh, the most powerful form of warfare is communication uh, on a multidimensional level. Okay, we're out of time. I need your help. Please ask the Lord what you can donate, what you can give, what you can give financially. Please obey the Lord when he tells you to join or watch or uh, be a listener or, or a free subscriber to, to our social media. I really need you guys to get out there and, and give me the numbers if you're watching our social media or listening to it or whatever, because that gives us the clout to, to get into more powerful positions and platforms of social media. And then finally, I need your help in spreading all of our messages far and wide. The alternative to what I'm communicating to you is the death and destruction of America, the death and destruction of your family and loved ones, and, and your worst nightmare coming to fruition before your eyes. So there's no retreat, no surrender. Nothing is impossible with God. So on the platform, or on the basis of that truth, which is nothing is impossible with God, let us together rise under the power of the Holy Spirit, and after we are clothed with on high, let us take the land. Let us take the land, and let us turn the tide of the battle. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. 